Well, CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Scott Fitzgerald once said, draw your chair up close to the edge of the precipice and I'll tell you a story. The edge of the precipice, of course. That's where every story must take place because that's where all of us lead our lives. For no matter how safe and solid we believe the ground to be beneath our feet, the fact is, each of us is only a single step away from the edge of the precipice, which is another way of saying the rim of eternity. Are you the sergeant who's investigating the Davis murder? That's right. The man was held up and murdered on a deserted street. The killer disappeared. So you do nothing? Well, we do what we can. Look for witnesses who might have seen or heard something. Well, it's been over a week. Yeah, and during that week, we've had four more homicides. And you probably won't solve any of those, either. Well, you never can tell. Sometimes we get lucky. Mystery drama The Rim of Eternity was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Sam Dan and stars Larry Haynes. I'll be back shortly with Act One. ago, millions of newspaper readers throughout the nation would start the day with Damon Runyon. And then one morning he startled the world with the announcement that henceforth he would no longer write his column on a regular basis. Because, as he put it, that man has not yet been born who has something worthwhile to say every day of his life. How true. And why don't more writers follow his splendid example? Evidently. The show must go on, and the presses must roll, and the airwaves must crackle constantly, ceaselessly. And to what end? I got an assignment for you, Joe. I got a headache. You got a hangover. From last night's police report, man named Kenneth T. Davis, shot and killed outside his home about 11 p.m. And who was uh, Kenneth T. Davis? Nobody. Well, who killed him? We don't know. Was it a robbery? Most likely. Have any leads? None at all. How old was he? 47. Where'd he live? With his wife, 28 Broom Avenue. And what'd he do? He was a shipping clerk. What else? That's all. You need me for this kind of story? You're a general assignment reporter, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a general assignment reporter. And I'll write it up while you wait. Kenneth T. Davis, age 47, was shot and killed last night at about 11 o'clock in front of his home at 28 Broom Avenue by a person or persons unknown. Although robbery is thought to be the motive, the police at the moment have no solid leads. Mr. Davis, who was married, was employed as a shipping clerk. Thirty. That's newspaper lingo for the end. I want more. Miss Starkey, that's all there is. It's not enough. Look, I can't make bricks without straw. Oh, since when? 
An ordinary life is usually an existence of quiet desperation. All right, never mind that. You were the one who said it originally. Look for that universe that teems in a single drop of water. You're mixing your metaphors. But those were your metaphors. Yeah, right now, I ought to be out mixing a drink. I want a page. Why? It's a dull day for news. Look, what have I ever done to deserve this? You became a drunk, Joseph. Now, what did I ever do to you? You made me want to become a newspaper woman. I'd read your stuff in journalism class. All right, and this is your revenge? Joe, you're no longer heading the Washington desk of Nationwide News Service. Now, don't remind me. This job is all you've got. Angle this one for poignancy. Oh, have mercy. Oh, by the time the readers get to the final sentence, I want them dissolved in tears. Look, 30 years ago, they'd given an assignment like this to a female reporter. They used to call them Sob Sisters. It's high time you discovered how the other half used to live. Augusta Davis. Uh, who are you? Joe Morris. Oh, you must be from the insurance company? Well, uh... Come on in. Come on in. Oh, you should have got here quick. He's not even cold yet. Hey, when do I get paid? Uh, I couldn't say. Oh, but you're from the insurance company? No. No, I'm not. You just said you were. No, I didn't. Uh, you made that assumption. Well, who are you? A reporter. Oh, yeah? From what paper? The Star Sentinel. Oh, yeah. They're going to want my picture? Well, maybe. Well, give me a chance to get dialed up first. Yeah, Mrs. Davis, uh... You are Mrs. Davis, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm Mrs. Davis, all right. Well, you, you don't, uh... You don't appear to be devastated by your husband's murder. Devastated? What does that mean? Uh, badly cut up. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess not. Uh, were you in love with him? What? Hey, you want to have a drink? Uh, no. Oh, pardon me while I pour one for myself, okay? Oh, go ahead, have one. Uh, no, no, no. Your lips tell me no, no, but there's yes, yes in your eyes. <laughs> My old man he used to sing that all the time. Uh. He was a stagehand back when they had vaudeville. Come on, I can tell you're dying for a drink. You can, huh? Sure. Can't one rummy always recognize another? Well, I, uh... I've got to obey this one single solitary rule. Never a drop while I'm on the job, understand? Oh, yeah. And I know if I ever break that rule, it means I'm letting go and I'm going to fall all the way down. Do you know what I mean? Oh, sure. I already fell. So, uh... Were you in love with him? With who? Your husband, Kenneth. Uh, why'd you marry him? Well, because he asked me. Oh, and that was reason enough, huh? Hey, for a lot of us girls, sometimes that's the only reason there is. Oh, what can you tell me about him? I couldn't tell you anything about him. But he was your husband. I don't think he could have told you anything about me, either. Ah, how long were you married? Oh, I guess it's 12 years. And you married him because you were asked. I can understand that. Can you? But... Why did he ask you? I guess everybody else he asked must have turned him down. And me? I was just a little Dutch girl. But while I was chubby, I wasn't cute. Well, he was nothing to look at himself. He was no world beater. It was a good deal for him. He was getting a cook, a cleaning woman. And, uh, what were you getting? I was getting my old man off my back. 
Well, you know these papas from the old country. A girl better get herself married or else she gets into trouble. Guaranteed. Yeah. Wasn't there uh, any romance at all? Romance? <laughs> we had to get married. Oh, I see. Oh, no, no, you don't. At least that would have been romance. Oh, no, we had to get married because for both of us, the other was probably just about for last chance. <laughs> yeah. When we first met, we just didn't like each other. But the day we got married, that was the day we started to hate each other. Why? Because we each had to face the fact that it was all over. Nothing good would ever happen to either of us for the rest of our lives. And uh, was that the day you started uh, drinking? That was the very self-same day. And what did he do? I don't know what he did. Oh, now, look, look, don't get me wrong. He was a good husband. Now, in spite of what you just told me? Oh, my mother would have settled for a husband like him. He handed me his pay every week. He never smacked me around. Where'd he work? A place called Kaufman Cheswick. I think it was the only job he ever had. I see, and that's, uh... That's the story of your marriage, huh? Is it going to be in the paper? <laughs> How do I write this up? Joe. Joe Morris. Yeah. What is the meaning of this? In what kind of acid did you dip your typewriter? What kind of gall and wormwood? Well, you said to angle it for poignancy. This bleak and bitter tale of woe? This desolate chronicle of unrelieved despair? This is poignant? So oh, we can't print this. Well, it's the truth. You portray that man as an unfeeling slob. And that's exactly what he was to his wife. Can't you see what you did? A law-abiding citizen has been murdered in cold blood on the street. What are you building? But after reading your story, there are people who might actually say good riddance. They might even identify with the killer. We can't have any of that. Well, that's how it was. But that's how his wife says it was. She's a drunk. What about his side of it? I can't ask him. He's dead. Isn't he entitled to his day in court? It's the survivors who write history. Now, Joe, I want a sweet, tender, poignant little story. And you better write one, or else. Okay. One sweet, tender, and poignant little story coming up. And then one night, at 11 o'clock... He walked alone down the familiar street. Once again, he paused at the familiar door. But how could he know that he was, at this very moment, standing on the rim of eternity? Oh, Joe. Joe, it's beautiful. Oh, sure. I mean it, Joe. It's great. All right, then if I'm off the hook, I think I'll go down to Freddy's and get quietly loaded. Uh, Joe. That's the hook I wish you were off. Well, that would be your loss, dear, because if I could ever wiggle off that one, I'd get back on a real newspaper. <sighs> your lips tell me no, no, but there's yes, yes in your eyes. <laughs> I wonder, does anybody know how the rest of that goes? I've been missing your kissing just because I wasn't wise. Oh, thank you, sir. You have remedied a deficiency in my education. I wish I could tell you the next verse, but it eludes me somehow. Well, not as young as I used to be. Who is? It was quite a tune and quite an era. But we move on. Where? Nobody knows. On another subject, 
Is your name Joe Morris? That depends. On what? On who wants to know? My name's Roger Kaufman. Ah, why does that sound familiar? It appeared in a story that you wrote for today's paper. Uh, you must be the Kaufman of Kaufman Cheswick. How'd you like the story? I couldn't believe you wrote it. Why not? Well, I remember your byline from Washington and Madrid and London and Moscow and Paris. Ah, yes. How the mighty have fallen, huh? Well, with all due apologies, I thought your story was asinine. On the same level with the usual sentimental slobbering one encounters in the Star Sentinel. Well, to prove there's no hard feelings, I'll buy you a drink. Freddy, they said in your office that you could be found in this place. Did you also write it here? Oh, no, no, no. I was stone-cold sober, which is probably what's wrong with it. I dare say. You portrayed Kenneth Davis as a saint and a martyr. And you're saying he wasn't. Kenneth Davis, who headed my shipping department, was a narrow, bigoted, mean-spirited, petty tyrant. <laughs> well, you know how it is. Only speak well of the dead. How does it go... Uh, de mortuis nihil nisi bonum. Oh, your Latin is excellent. Your respect for the truth leaves something to be desired. Now, tell me, why are you so concerned? Well, you identified Kenneth T. Davis as an employee of Cheswick Kaufman, and that isn't true. He was not. Well, his wife told me... I had fired him. Oh. Well, he probably, uh, didn't want her to know he'd lost his job, so he lied to her. That makes sense. No, I'm afraid it does not. Well, men have been known to hide things like this from their wives, Mr. Kaufman. Of course they have. For a few days, weeks, a month or two, perhaps. But not for five years. That is a long time to maintain this kind of deception. And it is complicated further by the fact that it has probably evolved into much more than just a simple lie. You must have been leading a double life. But doing what? Perhaps the answer lies in the second act, which shall arrive here shortly. job of some sort to perform a daily task, I would suggest that this assumption is correct as far as the vast majority is concerned. But as you know, by now there are always the exceptions who indulge in deceptions, which is why we have stories. You fired Kenneth Davis five years ago? What's more, I liquidated the business three years ago, so you see, there is no Kaufman Cheswick. Well, now, why did... How could he, uh, persist... In the deception. Oh, as a reporter, you should know that illusions and delusions are for many people the only reality they can tolerate. I would like you to print two or three lines to the effect that Kenneth T. Davis was erroneously described as an employee of Kaufman Cheswick. Well, the company no longer exists. What does it matter? Well, the truth always matters. Uh, why did you fire Davis in the first place? I didn't like him. But should that be reason enough? Certainly. Why go through all the agony of owning a business if you can't do as you please? 
Well, is it all agony? Is there no ecstasy? He had been hired by Jim Cheswick, and Jim was constitutionally unable to admit that he ever made a mistake. But the day after Jim died, I called Davis into my office, and I said to him, get your money and get out. As far as you're concerned, that was the end of him. Yes. However, a week later... Go on. Oh, nothing. No, you were going to say. Well, perhaps I'd better not. It, it might be libelous. So we wouldn't print it if it were. I'm sure such a citadel of upstanding journalism as the Star Sentinel could do it in a manner that would protect itself and leave me out in the open. Joe, come in. Thank you. I read about me and Kenny in the paper. Oh, I wanted to cry. Even though it was all a lie? Well, it wasn't exactly all a lie. Oh, no? You mean you actually had this close and loving relationship? Really, it, I said to myself, why shouldn't it have been this way? Yeah. I think I'll go with it. Well, you told me yourself he was a miserable... I may have been all upset because of his sudden death, you know? You mean you actually believe that he... No, not altogether. Not yet. But after a little while, I guess I will. (laughs) Anyhow, thanks. For what? Well, you made me a celebrity. Can you imagine? (laughs) Me? Some woman called from a TV station. And tonight I'm going to be on the tube. As what? Mrs. Average American Wife? How do you like that? And people I haven't heard from in years. They all been popping out of the woodwork. The phone's been ringing off the wall. Even my old man chimed in. He wants to know if I need any money. Oh, Joe, I got it made. And you've done it all. Now, why did you lie to me, Augusta? Why did you tell me he was working for Coughlin Cheswick? Because he was. There isn't any Coughlin Cheswick anymore. Oh, come on. What are you saying? Oh, you go to the address. It's a boarded-up warehouse. But every week he'd bring me... Furthermore, a... he was fired from there five years ago. Then every day, where was he off to? You have no idea? Oh, I need a drink. No, 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 you don't. Nobody ever needs a drink. Oh, I do, Joe, I do. Think of your brand-new career. Think of being on the TV, The Brave Little Widow. Now, you can work it if you're smart and sober. Maybe it can get you a job somewhere. You need a job. Now, how are you going to live? All right, I'll try. Okay. Now, weren't you, uh... Weren't you ever curious all those years? About uh, what? About what he did for a living? I was brought up never to be curious about anything a man did outside the house. Or inside the house, either. Now, every morning he'd leave for work, but he wouldn't go to Kaufman Cheswick. So he went somewhere else. What's the difference? Oh, listen, Joe, you think I need an agent? Well, he had to go somewhere. Do something. You wanted to see me, Joe? Yes, that story I handed you three days ago, the follow-up on Davis. Oh, yes, that story. Uh, now what? It's a great piece of writing, Joe. Well, you're not going to print it. War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy is also a great piece of writing. But we're not going to print that out. Uh, why would you print mine? Because your original story was a perfect gem. Especially in its original setting. It'd be a crime to tamper with it. Now, look, this guy Davis, who knows what he could have been? Who cares? We know what he was. What was he? Exactly what you said. The plain, average, ordinary, everyday John Doe. The guy who quietly does his job, pays his taxes. He's the strength, the heart, the spirit of this great nation of ours. You made him. 
You can't tear him down. Well, that's not the point. Let it rest. End it here on a high note. Whatever you'll find out now can't be any good. And the bubble is sure to burst. Yes, that's just the point. It's only a bubble. But these bubbles are the basis of our business. And think of the widow. How many happy endings are there in this tragic world of ours? I quote you, Joe Morris. From this sorrow and suffering, she will emerge shining and triumphant. A new world is opening for her like an unfolding blossom. Oh, you're breaking my heart. Did you see her on TV? She's got a bright, perky personality, and it grabs you. It does, huh? I'm still quoting you, Joseph. It's because you can see how the outer edge of her smile is tinged with sadness. And she somehow bravely manages to rise above us. All right, putting all this nonsense to one side, it's our job to report the news. A man has been murdered. We printed the story. But not the whole story. We're leaving out a vital aspect. It's what's known as exercising editorial judgment. Are you lecturing me on the workings of the press? Oh, I wouldn't dare, old-timer. I'm just reminding you. So... As far as you're concerned, the story's finished, huh? The story is finished. Well, not for me, it isn't. What are you going to do? I'm going to finish it. And don't call me old-timer. Are you Sergeant Schultz? That's right. What can I do for you? Uh, Joe Morris, Star Sentinel. Joe Mo- Hey! The wife and I read the article you wrote on this Davis guy. Mm. I tell you, we nearly broke down and cried. And we're a tough audience. Ah, uh, they, uh... They said you're in charge of the investigation. Well, yeah. A fella comes home. It's late. Dark, deserted street. Uh-huh. Hold-up guy robs him and kills him, and then he disappears. So, go find him. So you do nothing? Well, you ought to know better than that, Joe. We do what we can. But what can we do? We only go up and down the street. We look for witnesses that might have seen something or heard something. Did you find any? Ah, uh, nobody. Kitty, want an angle? For the past five years, he was leading a double life. His wife thought he was working for this Kaufman Cheswick outfit. Well, he wasn't. Where was he working? She doesn't know. But he was getting her money every week, so uh, could this mean something to you? Well, I don't know what. I mean, it don't change the basic situation, which is to find the killer who robbed him. Well, the fact that Davis was keeping whatever he was doing separate from his wife might imply that it could have been something uh, illegal. Do you agree? Well, sure. Now, what if Davis were involved in an activity that could have been uh, dangerous to his health? Like what? I don't know. I don't know. Could be another kind of motive for his murder. And, uh, by the way, how do you know it was robbery? Well, because his empty wallet was found right near the body. His watch and his ring were gone. All he had on him was a keychain and a ballpoint pen. Ah, okay. Okay, I just thought I'd let you know there could be uh, another angle to this case. Well, look, I appreciate that. Yeah, sure, sure. You know that since Davis was killed, we've had four other homicides. Yeah, and you probably won't solve any of those either. Well, you never could tell. You know, sometimes we get lucky. Hey, uh, don't forget the name is spelled S-C-H. Oh, Mr. Morris, won't you have a chair? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Kaufman. Listen, I need your help. I, uh, I'm involved in the story, the murder of Kenneth Davis. Well, haven't you already written that story? Well, you know I haven't. You told me so yourself the day you spoke to me in Freddy's bar. You let me know what you thought of it. Oh, I may have been somewhat harsh. No, no, no. I needed that. For reasons that uh, would take much too long to go into, I forgot that I was a reporter 
And I fell out of things. Is that why I haven't seen your byline from Washington on stories of importance lately? Well, I want that byline to appear again. I wish you the best of luck. No, I need more than your wishes. I need your help. I have to prove to myself that I can really finish a story because if I do that, I can... I can make it back, all the way back to where I used to be. Well, how can I help you? I have to finish the Kenneth Davis story, but I'm up against a blank wall. I'm at a dead end, and I don't know where to turn. Well, why do you turn to me? What can I tell you? Well, you were about to tell me something in Freddy's bar, but you backed away at the last moment. Oh. And what was that? Oh, it was nothing. Well, then why did you say it might be libelous? Mr. Kaufman, you can trust me. I'm a responsible journalist. I want to become a responsible journalist once again. It's just that it's so unsubstantial. Now, look, when you're starving, a crumb can be a feast. And it's unfair to Kenneth Davis. Well, he's dead. He still has rights. Just because I despised him, I had no... Yes. Well, about two weeks after he was discharged, we had a robbery. Close to $200,000 in bearer bonds, as good and as negotiable and as anonymous as cash was taken. And you believe Davis was the thief? Uh, the thief was caught soon after, but the loot was never recovered. The thief, a man named Lewis Darrow, claims that he tried to get rid of the evidence and threw the bonds off the Doylesburg Bridge into the bay. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison. And uh, where does uh, Kenneth Davis come in? Well, he doesn't really, except in my imagination. I feel that Davis could have been working with this Darrow fellow. I mean, how did Darrow get into the building? There was no sign of a break-in. Well, some burglars are quite skillful. Oh, that's true. It's also true that Davis could have given him keys and told him where to go and what to look for. Uh-huh. Um, you have any evidence? Absolutely none at all. Well, surely, Mr. Kaufman, you must have some basis for your suspicions. I've analyzed my feelings toward Davis as pure, unadulterated prejudice, which is why I despise him. You see, I've, I've always prided myself on being a man who was completely free from prejudice, and then along comes a Kenneth T. Davis and robs me of my... Illusion. Well, perhaps that's all it ever was. On the other hand, you may have had a sort of uh, unconscious insight into the man's character. He was a coarse, ignorant person. Well, if you're going to make a point of hating every coarse, ignorant person in this world, you'll never have time to do anything else. He was always eating... His huge yellow fangs were constantly masticating vast amounts of rich, fat, greasy foods. And his beady little eyes were forever boring into the photos of lewd pictures and the trashy pornographic magazines that were heaped up on his work table. I suppose that's what he lived for. Actual food and imaginary sex. Well, why do you suspect him of complicity in the theft? Well, I suppose when you're out to beat a dog, you can always find a stick. Look, I've never really talked this out with anyone. And now that I hear the sound of it, well, it is ridiculous. You think so? Well, don't you? I'm not sure. Well, are you saying that you believe he was implicated somehow in that robbery? Well, maybe. Do you have any evidence? None. Well, if there's no evidence... I didn't say there isn't any evidence. I just said I don't have any at this time. Does that mean the experts will have some evidence at a future time? Of course. 
He's our hero, and he is required to solve our puzzle. But is there any evidence? Yes. To be absolutely fair, there is something that can become an outstanding clue. What is it? It was something somebody told him. You heard it when he heard it. Let's see if you can make the same connection that he does shortly in Act Three. the door to which I found no key. There was the veil through which I could not see. So sings one of the radiant verses from the ruby art of Omar Khayyam. Well, there's a veil of mystery that seems to surround our story, and as you are about to discover doors and keys, will play a most prominent part in our solution. Joe, step into my parlor. Oh, hi. Hey, you look awful. You look just the way I used to feel. Uh, you, on the other hand, look great. I went on that TV show, you saw? I just sat around and jabbered with that lady, and they got hundreds of letters and phone calls. People sent in money. I got offered jobs. Can you believe it? Oh, I can believe anything. And all of a sudden, me, Gussie Schneider Davis, I am somebody. For the first time in my life, I can't even describe how I feel. I never got this high from Bose. And I'm going to work at the TV station. Oh, you're going to be a star? Oh, we kicked some stuff around. They decided I could do a great show on cooking. Uh-huh. They went ape when I told them about my mother's old recipes. I owe it all to you, Joe. If there's ever anything I can do for the you... The night your I... husband was killed. I guess I owe him something, too. If he was still alive, where would I be? closet drinker in a three-room flat. Yeah, the police said his money and valuables were taken. Yeah, his ring and watch. Yeah, they were valuable. He got him off his father. From his father. Now that you're going to be on TV. Oh, no. Oh, no. They want me exactly like I am. A diamond in the rough. No polish. Oh. Well, anyhow, the cops wanted me to describe the watch and the ring so they could get it out to all the pawn shops and so forth. Yeah, the police said all they found on him were his keys and a ballpoint pen. Oh, yeah. They brought him to me in an envelope. Could I see him? Oh, sure. I put it in the drawer. Here. Hey, what, what are you trying to find out? The rest of the story. Why? Because I'm a reporter. Um, what did he do with himself when he was here? Well, he wasn't here much. He'd leave the house at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning after breakfast. A big breakfast? How'd you know? I'd get masses just making it. Eggs, toast, ham, sausages, pancakes. Ugh, I'm getting sick to saying it. Okay, he'd leave. Uh, we don't know where he went. Did you ever uh, hear from him during the day? Mm-mm, never. Uh, what time did he get home for dinner? He'd call it supper. He never got home for that either. Well, he'd roll in about 10.30, 11 o'clock, and say, fix me a snack. A snack? Steak, potatoes, corn, pie. Now, you're saying he'd be gone all day and half the night. And I didn't miss him. And he gave you money. I couldn't fault him on that. He must have found another job somewhere. And why wouldn't he have told you? Maybe he figured it was none of my business. Well, didn't you ever talk about anything? No. 
I can't believe that. Why can't you believe that? Oh. Maybe I'm thinking of how it was between me and my wife before she died. My mother, my old man, what they ever have to say to each other? He'd say, pass the potatoes, and she'd say, what do you want to have for breakfast? What's there to talk about with a lot of married people? He comes home, he's tired, he watches the TV, he listens to the radio, he reads the paper, and he hits the sack. In the morning, he's out of the house. Hmm. Well, there has to be a key to this thing somewhere. Joe, hmm. it was different with you and your wife? What's it like when when people talk to each other? The key, the key. The key. Yeah, maybe maybe the key. The keys on this ring. The keys on this ring, what are they? Huh? Now, well, can you tell me what each one is for? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, this this one's to the street door. Uh huh. And uh this one's for the door to the apartment. Well, what about the others? Uh three, four, five of them. Those? Yeah. I don't know. What are they doing on this keychain? Oh, must be keys for someplace else. That's right, that's right, someplace else. There had to be a someplace else, a place where he went. And these are the keys. Now, where are the doors? Hello, Sergeant. Hi, it's Mr. Morris from the Star Sentinel. How you doing on the Davis murder? Well... Has it become inactive already? It's sort of on a bat burner. Well, maybe I can help you. Yeah, how? Well, first, you have to help me. Yeah? Yeah. You see, there's a convict, Lou Dowell. He was sent up for burglary where he got uh, 20 years. And that was just about five years ago. See if he's still there. Huh? Well, how does he uh, come into this? Well, he could be the killer. How do you know? Well, you'll know it before I will. Just get his photograph from the files... Sergeant, and circulated around the pawn shops. See if he could be the one who sold or tried to sell the watch and the ring that fits the description of the ones that were taken from Davis. Also, you I mean there's more? Yeah. Here are some keys. Now, each one has the authorized locksmith's or keymaker's number. And you want us to find out who it is? Well, you could do that easily, Sergeant. Hey, what are you building here? Well, maybe nothing, and then again, maybe we solve it. That is, you solve it, and you get the killer, and I get the story. Uh -huh. And if it works out, Schultz, I'll remember your name is spelled S C H. Joe Mars. Uh, Schultz. First of all, your man Lou Darrell, he broke out of jail six weeks ago, and his picture's being circulated. And the keys? A place called Walter the Locksmith. Over on 16, West Armstrong. Thank you, Sergeant. So, are we on the track? Well, we're either on it or off it. I'll let you know. Hello? It's Joe. Did you see the TV show? Uh, I was working. Oh, they said it was great. Listen, Joe, I got a whole lot of the stuff I cooked. You want to help me eat some? Yeah, first, uh, first, would you happen to have a picture of your late husband? Is uh, Walter the locksmith in? You're talking to him. What do you need? Oh, well, uh, here's a picture of a man who had some keys made here. Would you recognize him? <laughs> That's Fatso. 
Fatso? In a flesh. The whole quarter ton of him. Oh. Uh, what can you tell me about him? Why should I tell you anything at all? Well, in the first place, he's dead. Fatso? Well, his name was uh, Kenneth T. Davis. No, no. That wasn't his name. Oh, yes, it was. Wasn't Kenneth T. Davis that very nice guy that died a week or so ago, killed in a holdup or something? I read that story. I busted out crying. Yeah, well, I wrote that story. You did? Yeah, my name is Joe Morris. You're Joe Morris, the reporter? Well, uh, you say you didn't know him as Kenneth Davis. That's right. Uh, what name did he use? David Kent. Ah. Would you know where he lived? Yeah, sure. Because I had to go up to the apartment and install special locks. Would you believe he had five locks on that door? Yeah, uh, would these be the five keys? Sure. Sure, that's my work. Special, every single one of them. So, you saw the place? Sure did. Uh-huh. He had pictures on a wall. Look, I'm no prude, but I think there are limits. Uh, and all those magazines, you, you know the kind. Yes, I think so. And the food. The food all over. Big bowls of fruit and nuts, candy, cakes. Uh-huh. He had a big freezer bulging full with steaks, chops, Cold cuts, oh, yeah. turkey, name it. Yeah, uh, what's, uh, what's the address? It's just up the street. The apartment house on the corner. 195. Thank you very much. Now, what are you writing? Tomorrow's lead story. 30. Here, read it. Lou Darrow, an escaped convict, was identified today as the murderer of Kenneth T. Davis, according to Sergeant Bernard F. Schultz, who's brilliant investigator. Joe, how did you... Go on, go on, read on. The motive was revenge. Five years ago, Darrow broke into the offices of Kaufman Cheswick and made off with over $200,000 worth of Darrow bonds. Not known at the time was the fact that the theft was made possible by the complicity of Kenneth Davis, who was employed there as head shipping clerk. Oh, Joe. Joe, this is sensational. Yeah, I'll just keep reading, huh? <laughs> Darrell had given the bonds to Davis for safekeeping until he could escape from prison. Six weeks ago, he made a successful break. He confronted Davis and demanded his share. Davis refused. In a fit of anger, Darrell shot and killed him, Davis, meanwhile, had hidden the bonds in an apartment specially rented for the purpose. Better than half have been recovered. Interestingly, Davis had been leading a double life. Oh, Joe, I have to get this down to the press room. Well, maybe you better wait. Wait for what? Can we make sure that's really what happened? What are you saying? You wrote this story. I wrote what appeared to be the logical story. Oh, please, Joe, don't do this to me. Now, look at what I put together. A man had been murdered. It's an apparent... Hold up. All I it want to know It turns out that man has been leading a double life. Do you follow this? Oh, I don't feel good. <sighs> These past five years, his wife thought he was going to his job at Kaufman Cheswick. But that job didn't exist. Now, where was he going? Where did the money come from? Huh? Five years ago, there was a robbery at Kaufman Cheswick committed by a hood named Lou Darrell. Now, I say Davis was his accomplice. Darrell gets caught, leaves Davis in possession of the money. All Davis wanted was rich food to fill his flat gut and porno pictures to fire his feverish imagination. So he rents himself a modest pleasure palace. 
How do you know this? Because I found that palace, and half the money was still there. The stolen bonds? Well, he was using them to finance his fantasy. Uh, suddenly, a serpent entered his Eden. Lou Darrell broke out of jail, confronted Davis, demanded his share. Davis tried to stall him. Darrell angrily shot and killed him. But we can't say that yet. Why not? Because I know about the bonds. Because I was in the apartment and found them. But I don't know about Darrell. It has to be Darrell. What other explanation could possibly make sense? Ah, saved by the bell or condemned by the bell. Joe Morris. Hey, it's Schultz. Listen, we picked up Darrell. It was easy to chump, even had the gun on him. And the bonds were in the apartment, just like you said. Hey, Joe, how did you figure it out? For me? Uh, read the paper tomorrow morning. It'll say that the case was solved by the brilliant line of investigation on the part of Detective Sergeant Bernard F. Schultz. Don't forget that Schultz, S-C-H. I got it. Run it. Joe, you... You mean you just put it together from thin air? No, I just wrote a story the way it should be written and the way I used to write it. Goodbye, Starkey. Where are you going? Well, first, I'm going to have a great dinner prepared by this new TV cooking expert. And then I'm going to look for a job on a real newspaper. And did he also find a great new relationship with Augusta Schneider Davis? Just because the third act curtain has come down, does that mean our story has ended? No. It just means it's time to leave the theater. Because, as everybody knows, or should, a story has no end. It goes on forever. I should be back shortly. the rim of eternity. And where is it to be found? Everywhere, all around us. Each of us is condemned to move along this narrow and slippery path. And no matter how valiantly we may strive to maintain our balance and how carefully we may measure each stride suddenly without warning or reason we have stepped over the edge. That is when the mystery finally begins or is finally over. Our cast included Larry Haynes, Evie Juster, and Mandel Kramer. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. I would feel ashamed if you didn't take this token of your victory. A debt of honor, sir. Okay, if you feel that strongly. Uh, I think it's only fair that if we ever play again, however, I should have a chance to win it back. Unless, of course... Certain conditions should arise. Oh? What conditions? Why, the conditions under which you would give it up. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm deadly serious. This is a city of strange happenings and unusual meetings. It may someday happen that you will come across someone who will say to you, the Muzio Gambit is a very unsound opening. What? If that should happen... You will hand over the trinket you won today. This is Tommy Grimes inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. 
Until next time, pleasant dreams.